Okay, so I'm already certain that this is one of my favorite episodes. You are about to hear an interview, well, actually an experience, a really cool experience with Kara Elizabeth. Kara Elizabeth is a body wisdom coach. She incorporates her years as a psychotherapist with holistic approaches such as somatic movement, yoga, breath work, and Reiki energy healing, among many other things, to help women find healing for their body, mind, and soul. With 15 years of experience, Kara has helped thousands of women reconnect to the wisdom of their bodies. She's helped them find freedom from the prison of body hatred, limiting beliefs, and past traumatic experiences so they can live a life fully connected and confident. Wouldn't you like to live that way? So this episode with Kara, it has so many different layers to it. It'd be something that I would recommend listening to more than once. I was so impressed. I already knew that she was highly skilled, highly trained, very educated, very respected in this world of healing. But it wasn't until the interview that I realized how much I still have not learned and that I learned from her. So you're going to, whether you're a very beginner in this journey or someone who's pretty familiar with these topics, you will learn but you'll also feel some things and be introduced to some ideas that may be new for you. So this is a wonderful experience and it was such a huge gift to have her for almost a full hour. So here's the episode with Kara Elizabeth and I absolutely welcome your feedback. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. So here we are. I finally get to sit down with the Kara Elizabeth, a body wisdom coach. She's so much more than that. You heard that in her bio. But Kara, we are so honored to have you with us. And I told you a few minutes ago that I'm certain this is not going to be the last time you're on this podcast. You're such a great fit with this community. And we're really, really excited and grateful. Grateful to have you here, but excited about what you're going to share. You have so much knowledge and wisdom, which are two different things. And you let me choose. I chose inner child work. I don't like the word work with it, but I chose the inner child topic because one, you're an expert at that, but two, it's so crucial. It is crucial for growth. And there's so many ways for us to grow ourselves and evolve, et cetera. But many people are ignoring that piece. And I will tell you that I spent years and years and years and years in talk therapy, had never heard of it, never even addressed it. I spent years in the personal development space. I mean, not like an expert, but, you know, did a lot of courses and took a lot of stuff and never even mentioned it. And I am so new to this. You have no idea. You probably will be surprised. Like I didn't even hear about inner child work until about six months ago. And I'm just starting to do that. And so this community has heard of it before, but we've never dug in because I don't know how to dig in other than a couple of things. So First, just share with us, you know, who are you in this world and what are you up to? What are your passions? And then we can just get right into the inner child. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jill. First, I want to say I'm just so excited and honored that you've asked me to be on this podcast and to share this with your community. And I love you and I love your community already. And I'm just so blessed to be here today. So my name is Kara and I spent 15 years as a psychotherapist and have recently transitioned my practice into what I term body wisdom coaching. Because through my years of psychotherapy, just like you mentioned, Jill, 
it isn't all encompassing. It focuses on a very top down approach to healing, which is focusing on the cognitive piece more than the body. But the reality is we hold so much in our bodies. If we are not working on the body piece of that, then we aren't having a complete experience with healing. And so when I was able to incorporate body work, and I also am a Reiki practitioner. So when I was able to incorporate energy work into the healing process with the narrative talk therapy, I noticed my clients just growing so much quicker and having such a a more all-encompassing, holistic healing approach to their lives and just really expanding that. And so that's what I do. And before we even get to inner child, let's just, let's dig into that for a second. So for someone listening, the question might be, oh, I believe you because you clearly know what you're doing. Why is that? Why did they have better results? Because we aren't just one thing. So we aren't just our cognitions. And we aren't just our body and we aren't just our energy, but we have all of these parts to us. And so we have to address because events and situations that happen to us in life happen to all of the parts of us. They don't just happen cognitively. They don't just happen to our body. Everything happens at once. And so we need to address every part of our being in the process of healing. Okay. I literally felt that when you said that. Speaking of Mm -hmm. body, I felt that. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, can we just pause there? Put a pin in that. Okay, again, and I've dug into myself so much and I never thought about it like that. So I'm going to try to repeat it back the way you said it so everyone hears it again and tell me if this is accurate. So when we experience something, it isn't just our brain that experiences it and it isn't just our body and it isn't just our energy because all three of those exist, but it's all three of them that experience it. So you can talk, 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 talk about it and and try to release it by talking but your energy and your body still haven't been able to say hello. Can you help us? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's so fascinating. I I have goosebumps right now. Yes, absolutely. That's 100% correct what you just repeated back. And I love how you just repeated it back. It is is absolutely all parts. Okay. And, and, And I've mentioned a few times on here, certainly no expert, but I've mentioned like, you know, body keeps the score and that, you know, we do store trauma and emotions, et cetera, in our body. But I never even thought about it the way you just said it, that no, there's a third piece there. It's also just energetically. Absolutely. So before you get to inner child work, will you also just talk a little bit about energy? Because it spooks some people out. Some people, especially with it, you and I both have a Christian, very religious background, and it makes them uncomfortable. Some people aren't uncomfortable at all. They just don't understand it, and they think it's just woo. So maybe if you don't mind, like, what do you mean by by my energy experience to that? Sure. So I like to to talk about it in the sense of when you walk into a room, let's say you walk into a room and, and you instantly know that something's wrong. There's like an energy or you walk into a conversation and you instantly know because there's an energy. Nobody has to say anything. Nobody has to do anything. You can just feel that energy. And, and it is that connection of we hold energy. We can hold on to other people's energy or they can hold on to ours. Um, but we do hold energy and, and this oftentimes weighs us down because if we're holding on to somebody else's energy, we can't do anything with that because it's not ours to do anything with. We can't fix their problem. We can't fix whatever is going on for them. We're just carrying this energy for them and it's weighing us down because it's not ours. Energy can be seen as like a woo-woo thing, but everything in life has energy. There's what we call universal life force energy all around us. And if everything has energy, everything has the potential to exchange energy or to hold energy. And we really being aware of what is our energy versus what is something else's. Mm. Okay. And I know that a lot of people have moved from, okay, energy, that whole thing is, you know, something I shouldn't talk about and I'm scared. Many people have moved past that and they're like, oh, I get the science of it because there is science proving this. This isn't just Kara saying this. I mean, energy, that's a real thing. But then, the idea of holding someone else's energy, that then flips them back to, yeah, I don't get that. So when you say, for example, one of my kids has been really struggling, as I shared with you, with depression. And I know, especially with some codependency tendencies for myself, being a mom too, in general, I tend to feel, and I'm I'm empathic, so I feel a lot of a struggle. But what what you're saying, if I hear you right, is that I could possibly even be holding that energy on me. And that's maybe why I have been feeling the way I've been feeling. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. Because we have these energetic attachments. And 
in the process of some of what I do, and we can talk more about this later, is we do some severing of energetic cords. And so when we are in relationship with somebody or like you with your son, you extend an energetic cord, you have a connection. And that's not a bad thing. But when that connection is bleeding you dry, we might need to sever that cord. And that doesn't mean you sever that relationship at all. It doesn't mean you sever that connection. It just means that you are no longer allowing that energy from him to to come into you. That you can be there, you can support him, you can love him, you can nurture him. And you can recognize that that what's his is his and what's mine is mine. Which is a better way to take care of them anyway, right? Because it's coming mm-hmm. from, they need a, a mother who's strong and a container and holding that space, not one who's like, oh, I'm on the floor with you, which is how I have felt many times. And you can be on the floor with him and still not be engulfed in, in that energy. You can be there holding him, nurturing him, but not allowing yourself to take on that depression or that anxiety or whatever that is. That's a better way to put it. For me, being on the floor with him, I should have clarified. It was me on the floor in my own bathroom because of what he's going through. I'm like, I can't breathe. You know, oh, guess this is why I know we're going to have you back for so many episodes. So (laughs) what is the whole thing about inner child work? And I know so many people listening also could think, is this just like a trend? Because there are trendy buzzwords out there, but this is not something that's just been made up and it's not recent. Like what, what is it? Let's talk about what it is first. Yeah. So inner child work is the work that we do to come back to our true emotional essence. So our inner child is our emotional essence. It's who we are at the core and really being able to come back to that essence of our being and recognize that if that inner child is stuck at a certain age or certain situation, it's going to be responding emotionally out of that age. So think of a toddler. So you have a three or four-year-old, right? And they're having a tantrum. If something happened at that moment that led them to, to stunt their growth, you may then have an adult that also kind of throws a tantrum. It may look different, but kind of when they get into a heightened emotional state, they kind of go back and revert to that similar behavior because they never were taught, they were never given the safe container or the compassion to grow from that response. They got maybe shut down. Can you have events that happen in several different developmental stages? So like my inner child is my true essence, but at seven years old, this happened that I don't even remember that affected me. But then at nine years old or three years old, something else happened. And so in different parts of my relationships, those different stages will come out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So we don't have just one inner child. So that is that is one of the things that's a misplaced. There are like a slew of children and there are a slew of parts of who we are inside of us. And so, yes, at any of those stages, those ages, you can have a child that's stuck, that's stuck in that age that wasn't given the nurturing environment to grow up in mm. and get stuck. So oftentimes with my clients is we'll go through multiple different stages of inner child, whichever one is choosing to present in that moment. And it's it's kind of peeling back the layers to get to that true core, pure version of ourself that, you know, we're all born into this world with this just vibrant energy and vibrant essence of who we are. And that's what we're doing. We're peeling back these layers to get to that essence of our true self. Oh, I love that. And conveniently, it matches really well with what we say here in BU. So we're talking about peeling the layers away to get to the real us. But because I don't know what you know, I didn't know that it also is even deeper than that, that it's really not just the true me, but it's also that true essence that came into this world as an infant. I actually don't usually think about it like that, but that's really, really interesting. Yeah, because we all enter this world completely pure. We haven't had any experiences. I mean, there are some people that have in utero trauma that might have some experience that way. But when your essence comes down and regardless of what you believe, when your essence enters into this world in your mother's uterus or when you are birthed, like it is pure. It is 100% pure. And that's where we're trying to get back to is that essence of who you are. Okay. So before we talk about like how you do inner child work and what the benefits are, I'm also thinking, okay, So when you said it didn't maybe have the nurturing environment, let's say you have a super nurturing mother and father, great upbringing, like they're grounded people, like they've done more, 
you know, those of us in our 40s, you know, we probably don't have parents that are like conscious, right? I mean, they did an amazing Mm -hmm. job. (laughs) Yet, like, you don't talk about your feelings, you don't go to a therapist, right? That's how they were raised. So that's how we were raised. So, but let's just say someone today, you know, let's say you have a child and here you are, you have all this experience and knowledge and your partner does too. You're both very conscious. You get it. You understand the stages of development. You get all of it. You get trauma. How could your child even have experiences where you are super nurturing, but they still, 15 years later, things are coming out and they don't even realize that their inner child was wounded? How can that happen? I love this question because then I laugh because I've totally messed up my kid in aspects, like even with all the information I have, like, because at the end of the day, like we still have our experiences. So I still have a child inside of me, even with all the work, like we're still constantly working. There is no end point to our work. And so I have still had moments where my inner child was triggered and I responded in a way that wasn't my true self that was responding out of that inner child's wound. And so regardless of how much work you've done or how woke you are or whatever you want to call it, we all still have parts of ourselves because we are all still human that still need to be healed. And, and it isn't always just even about our parents. It can be about our, you know, our society, our society is pretty messed up, right? So we can have our children be wounded by society. Yeah. One comment from a stranger, one I'm in a program right now and someone I was talking to talked about, she lives, I believe in, doesn't really matter, but I think the Netherlands. And one teacher in third grade made such a painful comment to her in front of the whole class. And she didn't even realize, here she is in her 40s, she didn't even realize that that stuck with her. She could barely remember it. But when we were talking about how she was feeling, she was like, oh my gosh, I know where this comes from. So is that right? That the, whatever happens as at that stage as a child, even if it's not horrible, you were talking to me before about trauma. You're like, I, why don't you tell them your opinion on trauma? I love that when you said there's no little or, yeah. So trauma, there is no big T or little T trauma. I mean, we can classify that because it makes sense to our brains. A traumatic event is different from experiencing trauma because trauma is all about how you respond, how your body responds, how a person responds to an event that happened, which is why two people can experience the same event. One can have PTSD and one can be fine Mm. because one responded differently than the other. One had different energetic and environmental and even just societal and family upbringing to respond differently to that event. And so trauma isn't about the event that happened. And so if it's a, you got a, a look from your mom when you were talking and she was, you were interrupting her, that look can be traumatic to one individual and, not, and it can mean nothing to another. Yes. Yes. And so moms, we're letting you all off the hook here because if Kara, the expert here says that she's even done some things that she pretty sure has traumatized her child, then you're good, right? I mean, it's worth repeating and it's worth us like slowly talking through this part because you know, as a mom, but you also know as a woman, you know, as an expert, that this is the crap that plays in our heads all the time as women. Mm-hmm. And I know not everyone listening is a mother, but you know, you have a mother. So we all have that in common. And man, oh man, it's this constant feeling that I'm going to mess up or I did mess up or I'm not enough as a parent. And even if it's not conscious, it comes out. And I love that you said, listen, we all have this. And so, if something happens with one of my kids or with an adult while my kid is watching and I've done a lot of work and I feel very grounded and I've come so far and I've healed all my wounds, blah, blah, blah. You know, I still have that little girl in me. And sometimes if I'm hearing you right, that little girl is going to come out and respond to that situation when me, the more conscious person is going to go, oh shit, how did that happen? But at that point, I can't take it back because the kid already saw it and already heard it. So also, how do you feel about like the fact too that, you know, we're going off on a bit of a tangent, but I think it's interesting that kids, just kind of helping moms feel better right now, kids, they have their own journey. Like you and I can do everything we can do to be the best parent, but that wounding actually grows them. And what would you say about all that? Yeah. So every, every person, yes, absolutely has their own journey. And the biggest thing that you can do, because moms, we're going to mess up. Absolutely. We're human. And I love you said, you said something, Jill, you said, I healed all my wounds. 
that will never happen, Jill. I knew like, that. I knew you were going to say that. When I said nobody, it, I'm like, okay, she's going to catch me here. I, I know that. You're right. <laughs> nobody has ever healed all their wounds. Like there is no end destination to that. We are continuing to peel back layers and just find more and more of who we are and heal more and more. But the biggest thing that you can do is sit your kid down and have a conversation because I do that with my son. I'm like, hey, buddy, so I flew off the handle and I am sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I said that. Here's where I was coming from. Here's what I wish I would have said. Can we work on this? Will you forgive me? Can we move beyond this? Coming to them and showing them that how to apologize, showing them how to make something right is such a huge thing because then they realize, oh, you are human too. You recognize that you make mistakes. It's not just about pointing out all my mistakes or it's not just about, you know, do as I say, not what I do or any of those messages that we as kids got. I mean, at least I did. My father, I swear my dad doesn't know how to say I'm sorry. Like he's never learned those two words. And I wanted to do things differently. And so being able to acknowledge and take accountability for my actions is also then teaching him how to take accountability for his. Yes. And one thing I I did when my kids were young and actually not too long ago is that I did great at apologizing. However, I never looked at myself to figure out the cause of it. So I would have, and I've been very transparent on BU about this, you know, I would have these outbursts of anger. And I knew it was coming from something deep in me that I didn't know what it was, but I had an expert tell me it was a hormonal issue because it was always somewhere around my period. And so I would have these outbursts where I was like psycho. I'm screaming and yelling. I'm slamming things. I'm overreacting to everything. And my children were really little. And this went on for years, about once a month for three or four days. But then there were other times that it leaked out as well. But what I didn't do, and if you're listening and you're here, I've got you and don't feel bad. But Kara doesn't just acknowledge what she's saying with her son. She's also doing that in her work to heal what caused it. And I didn't do that for years. I didn't know to. Now that you're listening to this podcast, you don't have an excuse. (laughs) You know now that you need to do it. Go find Kara and say, how can you help me? Because just going back and apologizing, and you're the expert, tell me, but I think that can be traumatizing. Like I would scream and yell and really scare them. And then I would come back and say, guys, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm so embarrassed that I acted that way. I don't know what came over me. I'm really trying to work on it. And after a few years, they'd say, no, you're not. You're just going to do it again. It's like like the abusive spouse coming with flowers. And I, oh, I I need therapy over this. No, I, I still have guilt over it. I'm forgiving that part of myself, but it's still hard to even talk about. I just hate that I did it, Kara. And I was truly functioning it the best I could. But for every mom right now listening or someone who doesn't have a child, but they do this with their partner, these times where we go back and recognize what we've done and we apologize are powerful. But then do you agree we then need to take the responsibility further? Yeah. So there are two parts to an apology. There's probably more, but we'll talk on two today. There's the verbal part and then there's the action part. And so if there's that verbal part without the action part, the apology becomes useless and and meaningless to the, the other person because it becomes a repetitive action. And so we need to, yes, take that time to, to have that conversation with the person and then have the conversation with ourselves of what happened there. And, and Jill, I'll just be really honest. I was similar to you. I had moments of just outbursts and, you know, I was a single mom and I was stressed and I was overwhelmed and I was functioning out of a place of trauma because that is a trauma response. Rage is a trauma response. Mm. It's a trauma response to hyper arousal in the system. And so it can look like anxiety. It can look like rage and it can look the entire span of that spectrum. So it is a trauma response and it it is taking that step to, to be like, oh, I'm doing this every month. And there's doctors will always say hormones or whatever. And that is part of it. I'm not denying that it's hormones, but hormones are affected by our emotions. Yeah. And the hormone is triggering something way deep in there that I've never recognized. Yeah. And I would actually challenge that a little bit to the trigger is the emotion that's then triggering the hormones to be adjusted differently. So it goes back to that body. But I think, again, when we have the trauma that's stored in our body, it's affecting the processes and it affects our body and our brain's communication, which then affects the parts of our brains that then triggers the body to produce and secrete the hormones. So it's all connected. And this is, again, goes back to why we can't just focus on one area. 
we have to focus on all of the areas of ourselves to really have that healing journey. So, oh my gosh, I'm just enjoying this so much. It's so interesting. And I, I, I want to say something to everyone in this podcast community because I love that they love this stuff. You know, they don't want fluff. I actually like fluff. I mean, fluff's fun, all that, but they, they <laughs> listen to this. We're just about to 20,000 downloads, I think, in a couple of days. Yay, congratulations. So many people are listening to this and loving it. And I love that we are not here to get our hair done, right? I want to reiterate another thing that you said. You have so many truth bombs coming. When Kara said rage is a trauma response, I know you get that, but that's still high level for us. So if I'm hearing you right, trauma response means I experienced some sort of trauma at some point in my childhood, okay? It's stuck somewhere in me, in my body and energetically, and whatever happened in real time is triggering that and my rage coming out where I'm like, why did I scream like that? That's a trauma response because the trauma is being triggered. Is that what you mean? Yes, 100%. It is triggering that hyper arousal of your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight. And so it's coming out in that rageful moment. Oh, I'm so glad you're sharing that. And, and you know, people, you know, listening right now, if you've had those moments where you're just like out of your mind and you're offline and you are screaming and it's rage, one, forgive yourself, but, but hear what Kara's saying. It's not your fault. Like this truly it. Now, if you don't work on it, you need to own that. But the cause of that is not that, you know, you're a bitch or you're crazy or you're just PMSing. She's saying the cause is something deep in you from your childhood that you may not even remember. Having that compassion for yourself. And then you're absolutely right. Once we have that awareness, we have to do something with it. Mm -hmm. We don't just get a permission slip to continue it. And I'm wondering if like, um, because one of my kids actually reacts the same way now. And my yelling a lot, she told me how traumatizing it was when she was little. And now she has that fight or flight rage response to things. I've probably caused that. But before, again, I keep saying before we get into what we're going to talk about, we'll talk about them on other episodes, but could you just give us, and this is just so off the cuff, I'm putting you on the spot, a few ways that people can address that trauma and work on themselves and contact you after this podcast for coaching, whatever it is that you offer so that they're not having to go into a psychologist's office and talk, 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 talk about their past. Like, what are a few ways? And then we'll get to them on other episodes. And then we'll get into the inner child. Absolutely. And so the, the first thing, again, awareness is a key. Until we have awareness of what's going on, we can't do anything with it. And so being able to take a moment of reflection, maybe every day or just once a week, depending on it, and really reflect on how the week went and being honest, being brutally honest with yourself acknowledging the moments that you messed up, acknowledging the rage that you've had and taking a moment to just reflect and look at it and and start to notice maybe the patterns, like what was going on around that rageful moment? Like what happened earlier in the day or what was I thinking about to start to recognize what are some of those triggers to the rage? Because your body is constantly giving you messages. And I like to think of it as it gives us whispers. But if we don't listen to the whispers, it starts to get louder. And by the time you get to that rage, you've ignored so many precursors to it that you could have prevented the rage that it went all the way to rage, to oh. hyperarousal. Well, I'm going to stop you there because that's interesting because it feels like it just comes out of nowhere. Like, where the hell did this come from? Like, oh, I'm zero to 100. But you're saying there are, there are little signs throughout the day or whatever or the week before that that I haven't even noticed. Absolutely. And it may have been, I mean, it may have been leading up to even the month that you've just been, again, not addressing things in the moment, just storing them. And it's like, I call it the volcano effect. We store them, we push them down. And ultimately the volcano can't hold anymore and it erupts. Mm. And so if we, we have to start dealing with emotions and sensations and feelings and all of the things in the moment. And when we can start to address things in the moment without stuffing them down, we will start to notice that we don't have as many of those rageful moments because we can deal with things in real time in a way that is responsible and makes sense for the situation. Mm -hmm. Before you give us another tip on how we can do that, I want to tell everyone that what she's saying works because I told you about all the rage and all that. I hardly ever do that anymore. Hardly ever. And I have more stress in my life than ever. And it's because of the work I've done on me 
to heal things in me. And my husband actually pointed out, we will be married seven years in May. And he said, you know, it's just remarkable how different you show up in this house. Like something very, not even very stressful seven years ago would have just, like they're, they're leaving their clothes all over the stairs. And I <laughs> oh my God, I can't, and I'm screaming, but not just yelling, but just like so angry. And now um, a hugely stressful thing can happen and I'm pretty chill about it. So it really does work. So besides the looking for the pattern, what are a couple other things we could do? I always talk to people about starting with one minute, spending one minute on yourself, something that's really enjoyable for you, something that really is feeding your soul, spending just one minute or one more moment in a day than you did the day before. Because what we also need to start doing is giving yourself the space and the time to experience joy and pleasure, especially as women, especially as moms. But ultimately, we're, we're giving so much energy out that we're never replenishing ourselves. And we're expecting other people to feed into us and to replenish our, our gas tank. But nobody knows to do that because they don't see us doing it for ourselves. Right. So taking some time, and it can be really hard. That's why I say start with one minute or two minutes. It can, take, it can be really uncomfortable when we're used to giving everything to really turn that around and start to give to yourself. And so if someone's thinking, okay, how the hell is that curing my trauma? You're saying it's it's not necessarily fixing what happened, right? You're feeding, you're filling yourself up so that you're not depleted when something goes to trigger you, right? Does it also kind of help the trauma that you experienced? Absolutely. And it, it ties right into inner child work because again, at the time when we can give to ourselves, we're actually feeding into and nurturing those children that are within us. Mm. We're not abandoning. So when we've had trauma or experiences of trauma or just experience life events that hinder our growth and our progress, often what happens is that child is abandoned. And so it gets to the point where, like I said, we aren't hearing the whispers. So if you do have children, you know that if you don't respond when they first call you, they, <laughs> they get louder, right? It's mom, mom, mom. And then it's like screaming mom. Yeah. So again, your inner child is doing the same thing. So if we can turn some attention and give her some love or mm. him some love and nurturance, we're then feeding that and creating that safe space within ourselves for them to grow and for them to speak to us in a way that we can hear it that isn't that rage or that overextended emotional response. Yeah. And when you say that that child is abandoned, what came to me as you're talking was, oh my gosh, like I'm getting this more and more and more as you're talking. I'm really getting it that the reason feel free to correct me. The reason the inner child is abandoned is because we're focusing on everything outside of ourselves. We're achieving, we're organizing, we're building a home with our family, we're responsible for everybody, we're loving the kids, we're responsible for the kids, we're, everything is out, 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 even if we're not someone who doesn't feels like we're a people pleaser. That's why the inner child is abandoned because we're not taking any time to focus on her. Yes, 100%. We're externally val- seeking external validation to make ourselves feel good when what we need to do is turn inward and find that internal validation. Because what we have to do with the inner child work then too is acknowledge that we've abandoned ourselves. This is Mm self-abandonment at this point. Yeah. And and I'm sure there's somebody saying, well, I don't do all that because I'm not that, because there are, that's me. But there are people saying, oh, that's not me. I'm not doing all this for my family because I'm trying to make feel better about myself. And what I would say is, you may not be. However, the fact that you're doing it while not taking care of you and ignoring yourself, you cannot pass that off and say that's that's healthy. That's not healthy. Maybe it's not because you're a people pleaser and you're codependent, right? And you need to do all that to feel value. But maybe it's to numb and distract yourself from actually focusing on you and listening to what's really going on with yourself. Yeah. And I love that you said that because it's it's a thousand percent true. And the alternate or the, the opposite of hyper arousal is hypo arousal, which is shut down in numbness. And so it is that distracting. So rather than turning inward and doing our inner work, we're going to distract from it by focusing on everything externally. Oh, ladies, I know you're listening. It's <laughs> so good. See, I didn't know that either. So we've got the hyper arousal and then the hypo which is just numbing out. I'm not numbing out. Are you sure you're not numbing out? <laughs> you know, I'm not numbing right. out. And people are thinking that. Like, yeah, by avoiding, 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 that's numbing. And we're, we're subconsciously like afraid of what's going to come up or afraid of what we're going to feel. You know, and then we're in our 50s and we're like, I don't know who the hell I am. 
I don't even know what my identity is. I don't have my kids anymore to worry about. I'm either great in my career or I'm slowing down in my career, whatever. And, you know, I don't even know who I am. And that's right. It's because we've been ignoring and ignoring and ignoring for so long. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now we're finally getting to the juicy part. So the inner child work, this sounds so like woo and trendy and goofy. I get it, you guys. I know you're, some of you are hearing it and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay. Well, if you think you're too cool for this, then stop listening. <laughs> you're not too cool. Kara knows some of the most successful, when I say successful, it's not money. It's grounded, whole, happy, joy-filled, servant-hearted, coming from a healthy place, people in the world, they are familiar with their inner child and this inner child work and they do it. And they're not afraid to get vulnerable and look weird or whatever. So how do we do it? And, and what have you seen in your, in your patients and in your clients? So inner child is tricky because it's different for everybody. And so the work that we do, we, there is, there is a, a sense or a, a theme around directives that we give to people, but each person's experience with their child is different. And because it can be really new and it can feel really weird and uncomfortable, which by the way, it should feel weird and uncomfortable to start with, because if you've never done it before, we're stepping into new territory, we're stepping out of that comfort zone and we're stepping into something new and it, it's going to be uncomfortable to start with. And so it's it's embracing the discomfort and allowing yourself to breathe into it and be open to curiosity and experiencing it. But it's really about recognizing that when you're ready to do it, you're ready to do it. And if it's not calling to you, that's okay. It doesn't have to call to you right now and you don't have to do it. But it, it could be fun to explore and experience it and just be curious and have the sense of curiosity about it. Because when we talk about doing inner child work, what we are really working on is finding that inner essence and allowing yourself to have fun and be playful. And I know for me, I know for a lot of women, I know that's really uncomfortable. Because we've been raised in this world of trying to live up to the man and try to live in this man's world with this masculine energy to prove ourselves that we've discounted this fun, playful part of us because it was seen as extra and it, it wasn't important. But I'm telling you, in order for you to feel fully alive in your feminine energy in yourself, we have to have that playful part of us and we have to activate that. And you deserve it. You deserve to have fun. You deserve mm -hmm. to laugh and be playful and be goofy. Okay. So the inner child work that we're talking about, and I am truly don't know the answer to this. I'm, I'm, I'm learning with you. Okay. So what I know about inner child work really is just not very much at all. And I've talked about it in this community about like having a picture of yourself and looking at that little girl and asking her what she needs and all that. And we can talk about that, but you're bringing in a whole different piece that I would love to be cool and say that I know about, but I didn't that it's also just the playful part and the that's exciting. So tell us about the different parts of inner child work and, and some things that we could do. Yeah. So having a picture of yourself is great or having a mental image of yourself at a certain age is great. But like I said, we have different ages. And so the picture that you choose can help start to access that inner child. And it may not be the child that shows up. And so I will do guided imageries or guided meditations to introduce clients to their inner child and a different one can show up every time or all of them can show up and there can be a whole slew of them around at one time. So it can be a great start. I'm not discounting the start of this or the letter writing to your inner child. Those are great access points, but it is much deeper than that. And it is about accessing a deeper layer of that. And one of those ways is really to have fun with it and to play with it, which can be really hard and challenging. I know clients that can't do it. They can't be playful right now. And that's okay, because that's not where they're at. So we started at a different level. But if you can start to really engage in that childlike behavior, and what did you like? Could you remember what was your favorite toy when you were a child? Can you remember playing with it? And how did that feel in your body to play with it? And can we just bring up that sensation? And maybe we're not going out and buying that toy, but what can you do today that can bring up that feeling in your body to help you access that inner child in, in a more adult way right now? So that conversation right there used to be foreign to me, right? I, I, I've done a lot of talk therapy and a lot of personal development, but now in working with 
uh, Stefanos, I'm learning about the somatic stuff. And I didn't, I, I was so disconnected from my own body that I didn't even know that what you were saying now lands differently for me. So I'm going to sort of, again, translate for everybody. When you said that, it's so big that if I'm your client, you know, just saying, hey, tell me what you felt like whenever, you're actually having me close my eyes and figure out what was the feeling I had. And I know many people say, I don't have a feeling. I don't know. It's there. I've witnessed it now in the program and I've watched people in this coaching program and I'm in now. It takes a few minutes and they're like, oh yeah, and it's there. So Kara's helping you find the feeling that is in your body that comes up from that experience of doing something you love, coloring or playing with that toy or camping or whatever it was. And then she's having you find that same feeling in your current life in your 30s, 40s, and 50s and 60s out doing other things, but you don't have to get the exact same match, right? You just get the same feeling. Absolutely. I saw an ad the other day for strawberry shortcake. And it's weird that we're having this conversation because, I mean, you know, there are no coincidences. This just happened three or four days ago. Okay. And I, again, I've been very open on here that I, my childhood, I'm going to tell you the two feelings I had all the time. And I mean, 24 seven, scared and unsure all the time. I never knew what was coming around the next corner. I never knew when there was going to be an argument or a fight with my parents. I never knew what was coming next. And I had no clue what was ever going on. Where are we going? What are we doing? There was no communication about anything, et cetera. And I was very sad, very, very sad as a child all the time. And the other day, someone put something, I can't, maybe it's my husband that showed me, I don't know, whatever, on, on social media or maybe it was on the internet that Target or some store is bringing back something called strawberry shortcake. Now, if you're much younger than me, you don't know what it is, but it was all the rage back in the 70s. And we had these little dolls and they smelled so good. And I had the blueberry one and I had strawberry shortcake and I think I had a third. Well, Kara, when I saw the picture, it wasn't like, oh, I remember strawberry shortcake. Yeah. It was, oh my God, a flood of emotions of love and joy. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know what this is. And I stopped and took a deep breath. And I'm like, you know why I feel this? Because that was one of the few times I felt happy and safe in my room with the door closed, smelling my strawberry shortcake and playing with her. And I thought to myself, I am getting that damn doll. I'm going to go out there and I'm getting her and I'm going to put her in my office to remind me of that. So thank you for saying that because that brought that up. Yeah, 100%. I was going to say, if you aren't going to go get it, I will buy it for you and send it to you because you need that because it is, it's that visceral reaction, that body response reaction. 80% of our nerve fibers go from our body to our brain. And what this tells us is that we sense things before we know them. We sense things before we think them 80% of the time. And so you have this visceral reaction and then you went into it and you were able to name it. Whoa. Again, that's so interesting. So we're trying to think our way through life, but you're saying that you're actually feeling mostly and then it's going to the brain. Oh my gosh. That's why we say things like, oh, that really gets you in the gut or, oh, that hits me in the Mm -hmm. heart. Wow. Yeah. All right. So if I'm I'm new to the inner child thing and I'm like, I like this Kara. I think I trust her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some coaching with her, but I think I'm gonna try some of this on my own. What are some things I can do besides the feeling like, can I just start coloring? Would that be helpful or absolutely, absolutely. You can start. I have people that have they actually they're a younger couple, but they have inner child play dates where they get what are those lunchables? Oh, they yeah. get lunchables and they get coloring books and they put on a Disney movie and that that's their date night for the week. And they just sit there and color and be in their inner child or they make pillow forts. And yeah, you can do anything like that. Anything that's that playfulness. If you have children, get in there with them, really play with them, really witness how they're engulfed in it and allow yourself to get engulfed in the make-believe of it. If that's not your thing, because it's not everybody's thing and it's not the easiest thing to do for everyone, Start by just walking or sitting with your inner child, just sitting and accessing them. This may be putting your hands in your heart or one in your heart and one in your belly and allow yourself just to sense into what they're sensing because it may be too hard. We may have not listened to them for so long that we need to just spend time 
building that bond and that relationship with them once again, before we can even access, before they're even safe to play. Mm -hmm. What if I have the opposite problem where I'm, I'm trying to access, nothing's coming and I'm so blocked up. Would it help me to like do, let's say, oh, when I was a child, I loved to do, we used to do those latch hook rugs, right? Mm -hmm. So if I do one of those latch hook rugs, do you think if I do that, and then try to find her, will that can that help kind of like stir her up and get her out of there? Or? It could. And the other thing I will say about that is it may be really important because your inner child may be really scared and feel really unsafe. So it may be really important to just say, okay, I'm here for you when you're ready. So I'm still just going to spend this quiet time with you every day. And I'm still just going to say, I'm ready when you're ready. It's safe to come out because that inner child may be really hidden, maybe really stuck. And we may just need to create the safe environment and let them know that we're going to continue to show up for them and not continue, not abandon them again like we have in the past. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I made an observation as you were talking about my own kids. So my oldest daughter, who actually does respond sometimes with that fight or flight response and has a lot suppressed, I noticed that she and my middle daughter will sometimes put on childhood like Barbie movies and things like that. And they'll sit and watch them. And so they're like, they're doing inner child work and not even knowing it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And the great thing about our world today is Hulu has everything. Hulu has all of those old shows and I'm sure Netflix and all of them do too, but there's, you can find those old shows from when you were kids and you can sit and maybe just watch them and just remember the simpler times. Wow. Okay. So I'm your client and I've done some inner child work and you've helped me find her and nurture her. And I've gotten over my ego. I'm not thinking it's weird. I'm doing it. What kind of things do people start seeing in their everyday life, in their relationship? What have you seen with all the clients you've had over the past 15 years? It's been amazing. And like I said, everybody is different, but similar to what you said is not having the rage anymore being able to catch the emotions, being able to feel into their body. I'll never forget. I had one client who messaged me one time and she's like, I felt an emotion for the first time ever. And I was like, yes, like that's it. Like that's the moment of you can start to feel your emotions when they start before they get to that extreme, your relationships respond, your husband giving you that comment of it's night and day difference, how you show up in this world or in this house, your relationships get better because people stop living in that fear of how you're going to respond and they start trusting you again. And so you can really create that bond, feeling more in touch with and aligned with what you're doing in life, having more passion and love for your work instead of dreading it every day and pulling yourself out of bed, decrease in depression, feeling more alive, less anxiety. Wow. So many, so many. I'm so glad you added those in the end because, you know, for those who don't ever experience rage, but they do get anxious, I love that you're saying they're going to have less of that. This is so fascinating. I mean, we could keep talking for hours. I'm loving all this. And I I so appreciate you, you know, sharing just a bit of your knowledge and your wisdom because the reason I really endorse Kara and her work is because she has the education piece and the knowledge in her head. She understands all the science and she has 15 years experience as a practitioner, but then she's got all the other knowing that is spiritual and energy and body work and all. So she's like the whole package and um, share with everybody what I know people listening are going to want to connect with you. Like, yes, it'll be great to follow you and see what you have on Instagram, but it's so much better to know, like, how can they access your teachings and how could you help them? And by the way, I love the fact that your your prices are not like outrageous and crazy that no one can afford you. Absolutely. Well, it's it's all about making it accessible and recognizing that everybody needs this work and really being able to be accessible to people. The easiest way is on Instagram to find me. And on my profile, there is a link to schedule a complimentary connection call where we can chat for 30 minutes and see if it's a good fit and see how I can support and help you the best that I can to work on this inner child work or to work on any healing work that you wish to work on. So that is the easiest access. And I can give you a link to my calendar even to have in the show notes if you like, but we can really just jam on a phone call together and just chat and see how it works, see how the flow and energy is. That is such a gift that you give a full 30 minutes. Guys, most people don't do that. They'll give you 15 minutes max 
She's giving you 30 minutes completely free to just find out how she can help you and if it's a fit. That says so much about you. And yes, we want to link for the the notes. And then go ahead and just tell everybody, what is your handle, as they call it, on Instagram? My super cool handle is at Kara.Elizabeth. And Kara is spelled C-A-R-A-H dot Elizabeth. And I just found out today that Elizabeth is her last name. I thought Kara Elizabeth was, you know, first and middle that she liked to say together. And uh, no, it's her last name. Okay. And then last thing is what are, and this is where you get to brag. I mean, just don't hold back. Tell them all the tools in your toolbox. Like what are all the things that you know how to do and that you do with people? I mean, besides being, you teach yoga, but there's a lot. There is a lot. There is a lot. I did a reel not long ago where I said, it's not about the letters behind your name, but I have 18 letters behind my name just in case everybody <laughs> wants to know. That's pretty impressive. Ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. So I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I am a clinically certified trauma professional. I've done somatic experiencing training. I'm a Reiki practitioner. I am a yoga practitioner. I have studied yoga nidra, which is a trauma-informed yoga practice. Um, I've done yin. I, I love yin yoga because it's so beneficial for trauma. And that might be it, but probably not. Oh, just I just that. can't think of anything. Else. Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I know that a lot of people want your time. And when I asked you to be on here, you jumped at the chance. So we so appreciate you. And I can't wait to have you back. Well, I'm so thankful and I'm just so appreciative to be here. And also everybody, she's not just someone who's here as the expert. She is in this collective. So she is a fan of the podcast, which means a lot to me because she knows all this and I don't. And she listens to it with you. So I think that also brings another special layer. I love it. It's great. And I, you're just so great on it. Like even your solo casts are just, I'm like intrigued. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. All right. So we will talk to you the next time you're on. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on BU. I know there was something in this episode you were meant to hear. So let me know in a DM on Instagram at jillhermanbu. Be sure to subscribe to the BU podcast. And if you have iTunes, I would so appreciate you rating the podcast and leaving a comment with your biggest aha or takeaway. Sharing a screenshot of this episode on your story is the best way for us to reach women just like you. And if you send a link to a friend, let her know what unique quality she has that the world needs more of. If this is your first visit, welcome to our BU Collective, where we get honest about what it takes to find our true self so we can set her free and start living.